Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 55. Last week, I wrapped up the history of the Hittites. If you missed that episode, well, that four-part series, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm covering several of the people and places found in the next couple of chapters in Genesis. So let's get started. In Genesis 24, Abraham instructs Isaac not to marry a Canaanite. Then, God steers Abraham's servant to choose Rebekah as a wife for Isaac. Next, Rebekah is blessed by God and told that she will be the mother of thousands of millions. Also, she and Isaac are wed. In chapter 24, in verse 10, is a mention of a place called Aram Naharim, but it warranted another four mentions in the Old Testament. A similar place was mentioned in the Armana tablets, where it was referred to as Narima. In those documents, it was said to be in Mitanni territory. In Genesis, the name was used in connection with Paddan Aram and Haran, all three used to signify the place where Abraham temporarily resided with his father's family after leaving Ur, in Genesis chapter 11. It was also the location where his descendants met their future wives. As for the place, Josephus translated the name as Mesopotamia. The same rendering can be found in the Septuagint. But the Septuagint got a little more specific, placing it in Mesopotamia of Syria, as well as the rivers of Syria. And Josephus refers to the subjects of Cushan, king of Aram Naharim, as Assyrians. But who knows if they really knew where it was. Next in Genesis 24 is Nahor, a town in the region of Aram Naharim that was named after the son of Terah. Other than that, not much is known about this village, town, or city. At the end of Genesis 24 is a city known as Baralaharoi, which in Hebrew means the well of the living one that seeth me, or possibly a fountain of water in the wilderness. It was also the place where Isaac lived for an indeterminate period of time in chapters 24 and 25. A few researchers believe it to be the same as the modern Ayan Moi Lai Hai, which is about 50 miles or 80 kilometers south of Beersheba, and about 12 miles or 19 kilometers west of Ayan Cadiz. It could also be the same as the well from earlier, specifically the fountain in the way to Shur, as seen in Genesis chapter 16. If it is the same place as was seen in chapter 16, then it was here that God appeared to Hagar. The site is in the Negev desert between Kadesh and Bered. In Genesis chapter 25, Abraham remarries, fathers more children, dies, and is buried in the cave of Machpelah. Also, his descendants through Ishmael are listed. Isaac's wife, Rebekah, conceives twins, and Jacob and Esau struggle in her womb. Rebekah is worried, and God reveals their destiny to her. At the end of the chapter, Esau sells his birthright to his brother for dinner. In this chapter of Genesis is another mention of Havilah, which I covered at the beginning of this chapter of the podcast over a year ago, if you can believe it. It was mentioned briefly in Genesis chapter 2 as the place where the Pishon River flows completely around the land of Havilah in the creation story. The story continues that gold is found there. 
There are also two people in the table of nations named Havilah. One was the son of Cush, the son of Ham, and therefore the great-grandson of Noah. The other was the son of Joktan, and a descendant of Shem. Then, in chapter 25, is the Havilah I am covering in this episode. It is believed to have been in the Arabian Desert, where it defines the territory inhabited by the descendants of Ishmael. The boundary of the territory occupied by them was defined as being from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. The area appeared again in 1 Samuel chapter 15, which stated that King Saul attacked the Amalekites who were living in Havilah. Outside of the Old Testament, Havilah is mentioned in the Suda of Philo as the source of the rare gemstones used in the Amorite idols after the time of Joshua. This was the period when Kenaz was judge over the Israelites. But that has to be taken with a large chunk of sodium chloride, because as the name suggests, the pseudophilo is generally recognized as not being accurate, to put it politely. Another tradition outside of the Old Testament is found in Clementine literature, and more specifically in the New Testament apocryphal book entitled The Cave of Treasures. In this book, in the days after the Tower of Babylon, the children of Havilah, and Havilah in this case was the man and the son of Joktan, he, or perhaps his kids, built a city and kingdom, which was near to those of his brother, Sheba and Ophir. The region known as Havilah in Genesis is usually associated with either the Arabian Peninsula or northwest Yemen, usually. Some researchers, though, place it in the Hejaz Mountains, which are on the western side of the Arabian Peninsula. There are a few other geographic features that appear to support this hypothesis. Specifically, the mountain range includes both the Cradle of Gold at Med Ad Dahab and a dry river known as the Kuwait River that is thought to have flown between 3000 and 2500 BC. This river led from the mountains for about 600 miles or 960 kilometers to the northwest and eventually to the Persian Gulf. The speculation is that this could have been the Pishon River. Irish journalist and linguist Augustus Henry Kane proposed that Havilah could be found in what is today Zimbabwe in southern Africa. And this is quite a ways from the Levant in Mesopotamia, roughly 5,000 miles or 8,000 kilometers, an intimidating distance even by today's standards. To put it in perspective, India is only half that distance from the Levant. But, as far as I could find, Kane's proposal was roundly, soundly, and quite profoundly rejected. Of course, that doesn't mean that anyone actually knows the exact location of Havilah. The location of Shur is pretty much equally unknown. In the Old Testament, though, it's mentioned several times. When Hagar fled from Sarai in Genesis chapter 16, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Shur is mentioned again in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, like I mentioned earlier. Also, in Exodus chapter 15, after crossing the Red Sea, Moses ordered Israel to set out from the sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. The 19th century publication known as Easton's Bible Dictionary 
actually went a slightly different direction for Schur. It defines Schur as, quoting, an enclosure, a wall, a part, probably of the Arabian Desert, on the northeastern border of Egypt, giving its name to a wilderness extending from Egypt toward Philistia. The name was probably given to it from the wall, sometimes called a Shur, which the Egyptians built to defend their frontier on the northeast from the desert tribes. This wall or line of fortifications extended from Pelusium to Heliopolis, end quote. Pelusium was on the eastern side of the Nile Delta in northern Egypt, and Heliopolis was a city not too far south of Pelusium. Concurrently, other researchers proposed that the phrase Way of Shur was located along the Wadi Tumalit, which was an arable strip of land to the east of the Nile Delta. This strip of land served as the ancient route between Egypt and Canaan, crossing the Sinai Peninsula. Next in the chapter are the Aramaeans. They, however, are too long for this episode and will be skipped. I'll circle back next week. Their history will probably take two or so episodes. In Genesis 26, God promises Isaac that his descendants will be more numerous than the stars of the night sky. As such, all nations will be blessed. God also blesses Isaac with wealth, both in assets and spiritually, in partial fulfillment of his similar promises to Abraham. In thanksgiving, Isaac offers sacrifices. At the end of the chapter, Esau marries several Hittite wives, all providing his parents with unnecessary grief. It is in chapter 26 that Gerar is mentioned. I skipped it when it was previously mentioned in chapter 20, but this is a good episode to cover the little that is known about this city. At the time of the writing of Genesis, Gerar was a Philistine town. Today, it is in south-central Israel, probably the modern city of Wadi el-Jadur, in the valley of Nahal Gerar. Other sources don't nail down the specific location, simply stating that it's south of Gaza. In Hebrew, the city's name translates to the phrase lodging place. So, a stop on a road between two larger, potentially more prominent cities. In the Old Testament, the town is mentioned in two of the three so-called wife-sister narratives. These two narratives show how Abraham and Isaac each stayed at Gerar, and it's recorded that the town was near Beersheba. Also, it was here that both Abraham and Isaac claimed that his wife was his sister. I'm sure that went over well. Like father, like son. This, of course, led to problems with Gerar's Philistine king, Abilamech. The Haggadah, a historical Jewish text, claims that the man named King Abilamech was two different people. In making this claim, the second was the first son. In fact, the word Abilamech is considered more of a title than a name. This word is believed to be defined as a phrase, my father is king, and could be quite simply a nondescript title given to a crown prince. But others believe it could refer to a ruling king, as described in the Haggadah, when Benimelech, also meaning son of a king, and son of the first Abilamech, changes his own name to Abilamech when he becomes king. Such problems occur frequently when translating an old text to a modern language. And, in the Armana tablets, referenced frequently over the past many episodes and written in the mid-14th century B.C., 
there was an Egyptian governor of Tyre similarly named Abimlaki. Some researchers have proposed that he is one in the same as one of the Genesis Abilimechs. Last, in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, Greer and its surrounding towns are mentioned in the narrative of King Asa's defeat of Zerah's considerable Cushite forces. Next, in chapter 26, are the wells of Essek and Sitna. And, in the historical record, well, there is nothing. The wells are dry. Well, except that in Hebrew, the two words mean dispute and opposition, respectively. And, well, that is that. Next, in chapter 26, is Rehoboth, which in Hebrew means a broad place. It is also believed to refer to three different places in the Old Testament. It was none other than Isaac who named the town. Isaac's servants had dug two wells, Essek and Sitna, before Rehoboth, but some of Isaac's servants fought with the locals, and Isaac, probably wisely, decided to avoid the fight and move on to other, potentially greener, pastures. This led them to the open plain and apparently less fighting with the locals. After sinking this well, Isaac said, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. The first reference to Rehoboth in Genesis is this reference, which was a well in Gerir sunk by Isaac, specifically in verse 22. Some believe it to be the same as the modern Wadi Er Ruhaiba. This town is located about 20 miles, or 32 kilometers, south of Beersheba. In this town, there are ruins known as the Kerbet Ruhaiba, which are located in the Wadi El Ruhaiba area. It's in this area that some have proposed as the location of the Well of Genesis. And this would make sense, as of course, there needs to be water for a well, and a Wadi is a small stream. Apparently, the city flourished during the Byzantine era. Today, it's located in Israel and is named Rehovat Bey Negev, which simply means Rehovat in the Negev. Later, around the first century AD, it was inhabited by the Nabataeans. Like so many of the places covered so far, its economy was centered around trade, and in this case because it was located on the incense route. This land-based trade route stretched from South Arabia to the Mediterranean, it reached its peak starting in the 7th century BC and lasted until about the 2nd century AD when more sea-based trade routes gained prominence. The incense route served as a major network for the trading of goods such as Arabian frankincense and myrrh. Also from India were spices, precious stones, pearls, ebony, silk, and fine textiles. Finally, from the Horn of Africa were rare woods, feathers, animal skins, Somali frankincense, and gold. Note that it was still flourishing at the time around Christ's birth. The Edomite King Shal, with an H, held from Rehoboth as seen in both Genesis chapter 36 and 1 Chronicles chapter 1. This is potentially a second city of the same name. In these passages, it was referenced as being situated next to a river. Keep in mind that in Genesis, when the word river is used, and it's used generically, meaning without any preceding name, it is thought to specifically refer to the Euphrates. And in this passage, Euphrates presents a problem. 
It could be a location near the confluence of the Kubra River in the Euphrates, but this location was outside of Edomite territory, well outside of Edomite territory. It could also have been a river in the land of Edom, perhaps the Wadai Zered. Finally, this Rehoboth could be a site southeast of the Dead Sea, and this put it in the same area as the first Rehoboth, so potentially one in the same. Third, and last, there is a town known as Rehoboth-Ur, mentioned earlier in Genesis, in chapter 10, in the Table of Nations. It was established by either Ashur or Nimrod. In this passage, like so many in the Table of Nations, no location was given. But, considering who it was attributed to, it could have been in the same region as the town of Nineveh, which would place it in what is today extreme north-central Iraq far from the Dead Sea, Gaza, and Beersheba. And its name, specifically when the suffix Ur is taken into account, is almost identical to the phrase Rehovot Ur, which translates to streets of the town or public square of the town. And some have suggested that this mention of Rehoboth may refer to Nineveh itself, not the name of a separate town. And that's about all that's known about Rehoboth. Next in chapter 26, in verse 33, is a place called Sheba. And like a few other places in this episode, nothing is really known about this town either. At least not yet. There is speculation, and it is just that, that Sheba may be one and the same as Beersheba. Other than that, nothing. Which brings me to Genesis chapter 27. In this chapter, Rebekah guides Jacob in seeking blessings from God. And he does, as Jacob is granted dominion and rule over many peoples and even nations. But all is not well, as Esau hates Jacob and plans to murder him. Also, Rebekah fears that Jacob may marry one of the daughters of Heth. And in this chapter, no new lands or people are introduced. Next, of course, is Genesis chapter 28. The narrative of the chapter has Isaac forbidding Jacob to marry a Canaanite. He then blesses Jacob and his seed with the blessings of Abraham. Next, Esau marries a daughter of Ishmael. And then Jacob sees in a vision a ladder reaching up into heaven. God promises him descendants that will spread across the globe like the dust of the earth. God also promises Jacob that in him and in his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In return, Jacob promises to return to God 10% of what he is given. In the second verse of this chapter, Isaac ordered Jacob to go to a place called Paddan Aram. This place was part of the Aramean kingdom in Mesopotamia. Paddan in Aramaic means field. So the complete translation of the name is a field that belongs to a man named Aram. In Hebrew, this would be known as Seda Aram which is how the place name is rendered in some versions of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Paddan Aram describes an area near Haran in northern Mesopotamia, currently just barely in Turkey, on its border with Syria. I covered Haran way back in Chapter 2, Episode 20, which, if you're listening live, was released some eight months ago. There is the theory, though, that Paddan Aram and Haran may describe the same city. This is based on similarities between the two words Padanu 
and Haranu in Akkadian. In fact, in Akkadian, both words translate to the English words road or caravan route. For this episode, I'll work under the assumption that the two cities are distinct. The place Padan Aram, occasionally rendered simply as Padan, is found in 11 places in the Old Testament, and all of these are in Genesis. The city of Haran, where Abraham and his father Terah settled after leaving Ur, was, according to some sources, located in Padan Aram, specifically the part of Aram Naharaim that was adjacent to the Euphrates. Nahor, Abraham's brother, also settled in the area, and, as can be read in chapter 24, Abraham's nephew, Bethuel, the son of Nahor and his wife, Milcah, and also the father of Laban and Rebekah, lived in Paddan Aram. Of course, Rebekah ended up marrying Isaac. Then, Isaac and Rebekah's son, Jacob, was sent there to avoid the wrath of his brother Esau. While there, Jacob worked for his uncle Laban and fathered eleven sons and a daughter, as found in both Genesis chapters 35 and 46. Also, he apparently amassed great wealth in the form of livestock and property in Genesis 31. It was from Paddan Aram that Jacob went to the city of Sheshem and the land of Israel, where his twelfth son was born, as found in Genesis 33. In the Jewish text known as the Midrash, a rabbi named Isaac taught that the people of Paddan Aram were undesirables and that Rebekah potentially stood out as one of the only pure people there. As such, he considered Rebekah's time in Paddan Aram as symbolic of Israel's among the other kingdoms of the region. And that's Paddan Aram, and probably a good place to end this episode. Join me next week when I'll cover the history of the Aramanes. You don't want to miss it. This week, I hope you will go to iTunes, or wherever you receive the podcast from, and leave a positive review. Doing so helps others to find the podcast. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. And if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.